Good morning. Good morning. Poke your head inside a big building on the corner of Alabama and 19th Streets in the Mission, and you'll find a hive of activity. Before you even go inside, you'll be greeted by a volunteer who's ready to help you find what you need. Are you having trouble paying rent? Do you need a COVID test or want to get vaccinated? Are you short on food? Chances are good there's help inside. We call this the Mission Food Hub because it's very distinct in the cultural foods it provides. So, you know, every Latin country uses rice. I don't care how they make it, arroz con gandules or, you know, any kind of rice they can make, you know, frijoles. This is Valerie Tulier-Lewa. She's a member of the executive committee for a group of local nonprofits and neighborhood organizers called the Latino Task Force. There's a huge variety of services here. A lot of what's on offer isn't directly illness-related, but it all started up during the pandemic. The coronavirus hit the mission particularly hard in terms of both cases and their side effects. People who had to quarantine worried about making rent and putting food on the table. Tulier Lewa and other organizers saw that and decided they had to do something. So each of these tables represent a service. And so we had housing was in the back, we had taxes, we have unemployment, we have economic relief. See, he's preparing, but they give diapers away. There's clothes here. We give them wipes if they need baby wipes and diapers, cleaning supplies. We try to give them a basic set of needs if they're asking for it, you know. My heart just fills up with joy, you know. Just, and that's what I mean, helping women with children, little babies, you know. This all came out of a time when Latinos made up half of all COVID cases in the city despite being only 15% of the population. The advocates and nonprofits that today make up the Latino task force felt that the city's response in the mission didn't measure up to the crisis here. Plus, they know their community and the people in the neighborhood trusted them. So they pushed hard on the city to allocate the resources. But the infrastructure to actually deliver what was needed to struggling individuals, they built that themselves. And we were just, you know, constantly fighting, advocating with city government. Just give us what we need. You've got to take care of the whole city. We know how to take care of ourselves. Just give us the resources. We know how to take care of our community. I'm Laura Wenis. This week, producer Cynthia Lopez and I dig into this problem-solving approach that a neighborhood built from the ground up. Because it didn't stop there. This model expanded to other areas of the city as well. Cynthia? The Bayview and Excelsior also have centralized one-stop shops for services provided by workers and organizations that know the neighborhood. In some cases, they are the neighbors. Two years after all this started, these centers are still seeing a need for the services they provide. They're still working on pandemic response while also figuring out pandemic recovery. And now they're staring down the next public health emergency. From the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next Project, This is Fixing Our City. Let's wind back the clock to 2020, when the first shelter-in-place orders were being issued, when this was the novel coronavirus. So if you walk down Mission Street after shelter-in-place, people act like they'd never even heard of COVID. They hadn't heard of social distancing. So it was about going out there and educating the community, go home, stay home, which could be, in one way, a catch-22. 
because many of our families live in crowded housing and so it's like were you going to socially distance because at that time there were no mask mandates. Valerie Tulier Lewa's day job is with the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission. But she's been an organizer and an activist in the mission for many years. And for a long stretch over the last few years, she switched to pandemic response full time. It became clear pretty early on that the mission was getting hit hard. Like she says, a lot of people live in very close quarters. People work in jobs that were now considered essential, but that pay low wages and have tight restrictions on how much sick leave you can take. In the city's hospitals, healthcare workers noticed that the number of Latino people coming in with severe COVID was way out of line with their share of the population. Tulia Lewa and a few dozen other people who'd worked on various neighborhood initiatives decided to mount a response. Many of us are made up of old community organizers and activists, not old in age, old in experience, okay? <laughs> and we, we were taught that when there's a crisis, you respond to the crisis. And so the cliche we use is when there's a fire, we run to the fire, not away from the fire. And here's an example of running into the fire. The Latino Task Force set up a website offering explanations of the virus and how it spread in English, Spanish, and Maya languages. They also arranged for food and help navigating government programs. The lines to pick up food would stretch around the block and beyond. We said, if our people are waiting three, four, five hours in line to get food, we can be there in person for them. And we immediately started face-to-face -face services. I think maybe shelter in place was in March. I think by May, I think we had already opened up upstairs the resource hub. And, you know, it was good, but it was also a struggle. Like some of the CBOs, community-based organizations, were like, oh, I don't know if I want to send staff. And I'm like, shut up. If you grew up here, you know you're going to send some staff. And some staff were, they actually would come and volunteer their time. And then finally the CBOs would come around, okay, okay, okay. But it was very important for them to be in person. When tests became available, the city built COVID testing sites. You could drive up or walk up to get swabbed, and then you'd have to wait a few days to learn if you'd been infected or not. But given how much the mission was suffering from the pandemic, advocates wanted better access to testing for the neighborhood. But the city had never gone through a pandemic, so they didn't know what the heck they were doing. But our whole philosophy is, it's okay, figure it out, just give us what we need. We know what we're doing. We know how to respond to COVID. Just give us what we need. So we wanted money to purchase food. We wanted money to do testing. We wanted money to do the resources to serve the community, you know. And I'm not saying we just say money. The, the city had to learn very quickly that they had to get bureaucracy out of the way. By April, the group of organizers who wanted to launch a grassroots pandemic response had established itself as the Latino Task Force. They were recognizable in the neighborhood. They decided to set up their own testing sites. But doing that requires money and trained healthcare staff. In July 2020, the task force started offering testing at the Alabama Street site. The Department of Public Health was helping with supplies and test kits. But with things moving fast, there were unpleasant surprises. Like hearing on short notice that there would be no canopies or chairs available for the next testing session. I told them, I tell them all the time, they'll laugh at it now, so you guys are going to make me have a stroke. You guys are raising my blood pressure. I'm not playing. So we hustled that night. I went to Office Depot, bought supplies. Roberto from the Mission Food provided some tents that he had stored from Carnaval. We made it work. Mad, but we made it work. 
So then the following week, DPH says, oh, by the way, you're only going to get 100 tests. And we were testing, I don't know, three or 400 people, close to 500 people. And I'm like, you're out of your mind. You're going to tell me this the day before again? No, that's not going to happen. Tulia Lewa called some people who called some people. A compromise was worked out. And the next day, she says they had more than 200 tests. So it's always been kind of that push and pull fight. You know, just shut up, get out of our way, give us what we want. We'll, we'll have it. We got it. It took convincing to get the health department on board, according to Richard Raya. He's chief strategy officer at the Mission Economic Development Agency, or META. They're part of the Latino task force, too. I frankly was really surprised by the public health department's lack of a strategy for the Latino community because public health in general is really strong on what they call the social determinants of health and kind of reducing disparities in health. Yet we did not hear that talk during the pandemic onset. In particular, how do you reduce the COVID positivity rate in the Latino community? Did not bring a strategy to the table. The community had to organize on its own and build those community systems. Frankly speaking, it was difficult to get through to the public health department. It took a while. Eventually, with the mayor getting involved, she listened and she responded. And by responding, I mean not only directing the public health department to have a strategy for the Latino community, but also with the budget, approving close to $28 million in emergency resources for the hubs and testing sites and so on. We reached out to the Department of Public Health for a response to this. An unnamed spokesperson sent a reply outlining how the city reacted to the public health emergency of COVID quickly. The statement says the health department started collaborating with the Human Rights Commission and Latino leaders in March 2020 when data started to show Latino people were disproportionately affected. That resulted in a series of weekly webinars in Spanish to share information about COVID. By May, what Tulia Lewa noted earlier was starting to become more clear. High concentrations of essential workers living in congregate settings were contributing to the spread of COVID in the mission. Then, the statement refers to the collaboration between the city and community groups to do outreach, offer information, do testing, and to vaccinate. And it says the department helped speed up testing, treatment, vaccination, and community awareness. It reads, in part, quote, Collaboration with the community continued through the rest of the pandemic as partnerships with community groups delivered needed services and outreach to the Latina, Latino, Latinx community in an effort to mitigate the impacts of the virus and to aim for greater health equity and access to resources like testing and vaccinations. Since those early days, the task force has built up more robust partnerships with the city, including with the health department, and with private companies like Color, which creates COVID tests. They built up a workforce out of volunteers and trainees. Fixing Our City producer Cynthia Lopez talked with visitors and volunteers at the site on Alabama Street where people go to get tested, vaccinated, help with their bills, and food staples. Many volunteers like Asalia Nieves describe what they're doing as a labor of love. She says it's the love of the community that made her want to get involved. Nieves brings the COVID vaccine to homebound seniors. She also brings other things like food and gift cards and blankets to make seniors feel as comfortable as possible. She wants to make sure people who don't get out much or need caretakers aren't forgotten. I also spoke with Sonia Alvarenga and asked why she got involved. She gave two reasons. 
Dos, me gusta informar a la gente. One, she was unemployed. And two, she likes getting information out to people. She says it's important to get involved and to make sure people know what kinds of benefits they can get. Because sometimes, people don't know where they should go to get help or to get vaccinated. And she says if we as a community don't get involved, nobody will do it. She's also noticed people are scared to test. She says they're worried that if they test positive, they'll have to stay home and they might not get paid. That can mean serious financial hardship. That's one of the advantages of having all these services in the same place. Those who test positive can get food, sign up for whatever aid programs are available, and pick up cleaning supplies and PPE. One first-time client I spoke with even got signed up to learn English. His name is Yasser Harkin Garcia. Sí, me ofrecieron comida y me ofrecieron también un plan de estudio para aprender inglés. Garcia told me that he found out about the task force from a friend. Another woman who was waiting after getting her vaccine said she heard about the resource center from a friend too. That's no coincidence. Volunteers spend time outside of sports games and community events to hand out at-home COVID tests and leaflets. They have information about the Latino task force and what it offers. Asalia Nieves, the volunteer you heard from earlier, says that for her work, she often has to go door to door. Empezamos buscando a los adultos. She said it takes time to sit down and talk to people to gain their trust and help them find their health insurance cards. It's a process to ensure they realize that the task force won't forget about them once they get the services they need, whether it's a vaccine, test, or finding at-home care for homebound seniors. Over the years, the task force has administered more than 230,000 tests and more than 90,000 vaccine doses. 9,000 households received food assistance in the last fiscal year. But there was also another surprising benefit of putting all these services in one central location and collaborating across organizations to get them out. I think for the young people, this has been life-changing for them. More on what that means after the break. We're at the Latino Task Force's resource hub in the mission, where people can get everything from COVID tests to food to help applying for financial aid. A workforce of volunteers and lots of young people keeps it humming. My name is Ronnie. I'm 23 years old. Right now, I'm getting off probation. My name is Shalom. I'm the site lead for our testing site and our vaccine site today on Thursdays. Hi, my name is Nayeli Torres. I'm pretty much like everywhere, but now my new position is a program assistant. One of the benefits of the task force's incredibly resource-intensive service center was that it needed staff. And there were plenty of young people around looking for opportunities. We were able to hire young, inexperienced people because no one else wanted to work. (laughs) And so we were able to train them, and they are like the leaders now. They are like the rising superstars of the Latino task force. This is Tracy Gallardo. She's a key figure in the Latino task force and a longtime organizer here. But her day job is also with the city. She's an aide to supervisor Shaman Walton. I mean, there were like thousands of people that came through our doors. And, you know, young people, they don't necessarily know about all these services. They've never had to use it. All of a sudden, they became the only one working in their household because their parents worked at restaurants or hotels. And so they became sole providers in a lot of cases. And so... It was a win for everyone, but I think for the young people, this has been life-changing for them. The task force recruited from programs that help people with criminal records build up work experience. 
It also recruited residents who might be young and inexperienced, or who only speak Spanish, or who had lost their jobs. Some 40 people who had no prior public health experience are now paid community wellness team workers. The task force also had about 180 interns over the years. And the building that houses the resource center happens to also be a vocational school. There are culinary, healthcare, and other training programs that run here. You can imagine what happened to the demand for medical assistance in the past few years. The medical assistant program graduated 85 people over the course of the pandemic. Here's Valerie Toulier-Lewa again, another task force leader. We use the medical assistant graduates to start registering people. And I would say probably within three weeks, Color and Carbon Health, which was our subcontractor, hired them. And it was almost like we couldn't even graduate medical assistants fast enough. Unfortunately, none of the problems that the pandemic brought to the surface, unemployment or underemployment, food insecurity, housing instability, are really new in the neighborhood. COVID just exacerbated existing inequalities. The need is still high. And while officials and people who can work from home may feel the pandemic has waned, workers with the Latino task force still see the neighborhood struggling. The issue here is that we are quote unquote, returning to kind of normal, opening up. But the long-term effects of the pandemic are still with us. And we never stopped. Like we never reduced our services. We never stopped testing. We never stopped vaccinating. And sure enough, Delta came around and then Omicron came around. And now there's another surge that is coming around. So this pandemic, or this virus rather, is gonna mutate continually and be with us. And as far as I'm concerned, we're still gonna be the, a vulnerable population. People of color are gonna be the most vulnerable. You know, they, you know, people of color, poor people of color, poor people take public transportation. You know, people of color still need to work as essential service workers. So I think that, you know, we are not going to stop our services because we want to, we're very well prepared. Alondra Gallardo had a similar thought. She's the resource manager for the Latino task force working upstairs in what looks like a big dining hall. That's where people get help with applications for things like unemployment. Gallardo started as a volunteer, then became an intern, and then worked her way up to this position. I think the need has always been there. I just think our, our vision just kind of shifted and making it be a bigger picture kind of thing. Thankfully, our community has gone together and has shared the message that it's really important just to be safe and be smart and keep everyone healthy so folks are not worrying about the basic needs. They can isolate. They can quarantine to make sure they keep themselves and their family members safe and not keep spreading the virus. The needs have definitely shifted, but it's been very consistent with financial assistance for those who don't qualify for government aid, such as unemployment or disability, COVID pay leave, as well as for families who need financial assistance, you know, to help with their children who are in their household, essentially, because they weren't going to school, as well as rent assistance. Rent has been one of the biggest things here from day one. The city and its leaders need to know that there's no there's no finish line. It just kind of gets to keep on going and to keep being alert of what is needed and listening to the community when in need, but also on, on the daily basis. Even when we get out of the pandemic and the skies are a little bluer, we got to know that the needs are still there, whether they're forecasted on the news at you know, 7, 8, and then 10 p.m. It's, it's still there, and we need to keep addressing these issues, even if we're, quote-unquote, out of the pandemic. So, yeah, I think the need has always been there. We need to keep our leaders in the know that they need to keep pushing for more. In some ways, the city has come in to support and expand the Latino task force model, providing money to help other resource centers around the city. The Bayview and Excelsior have these kinds of centralized hubs now, too, where residents don't need to go to a bunch of different offices to apply for different kinds of help. 
and they have a good chance of finding someone who speaks the language they're most comfortable in. But then, earlier this year, after originally supporting the resource centers, Mayor London Breed proposed a budget that would have cut their funding. Organizers were shocked and trying to come to terms with having to lay people off. They had trained and hired community members during a crisis. After negotiations process, Valerie Tulier-Lewa says the Latino task force has enough funding to run another year. And that's much needed, according to Tracy Gallardo, who you heard from earlier. She says the pandemic made certain problems that already existed worse. Chronic health issues, for example, and achievement gaps for kids in school, income inequality, and the ongoing affordability crisis. So the task force is trying to add recovery programs to its ongoing pandemic services. In 2020, we were very, like, crisis mode. And now we're able to think through and process. And we know that poverty has always been an issue. But the glaring inequities have become more prevalent now that we've actually been here. Now that COVID, we're in recovery, how do we go back and kind of figure out how to address that need? During our COVID testing, we were offering diabetes and cholesterol testing. And a lot of people were coming up with diabetes, pre-diabetes. And now it's like, okay, now how do we go back and make this available at every site? How do we offer healthy meals? How do we offer food? And a big need that we see, two years people have not done physical activities, a lot of weight gain. And so what do we do now? How do we get kids motivated to want to be back in school? Kids miss kindergarten and first grade. Latino kids were always behind in education. Now they're even more behind and people are paying attention to it. But what are we doing about it? And it's the time to say, what are we collectively going to do about it? And now we've already declared our next public health emergency. Monkeypox cases are rising. The Latino Task Force has started conversations with the health department and other agencies to figure out how they can offer monkeypox vaccinations. Because, as Valerie Tulier-Lewa says, for one thing, it's more discreet. Compare showing up at a center offering lots of different things to standing in line publicly at General Hospital. And having information and treatment come from a trusted source will help public health interventions reach communities that might be wary of other agencies. The Latino Task Force is community-led, community-driven, and community-implemented. So what I think city government, state, federal government have to understand that during such a crisis, you have to let the community lead. And our community wants us. Trust us. That's a huge word right there is trust. That's the approach the Latino task force is now carrying on with through year three of the pandemic and into new, uncharted territory. Fixing Our City is part of the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, where we explore how the city will chart its future and address its biggest challenges. And we want to check out your ideas. Do you have a solution you want the city to pursue? Know someone who's making a difference on an important issue? Send an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com. You can also DM us on Twitter, we're at SF Next. I'm Laura Wenis. I'm Cynthia Lopez. This is Fixing Our City. Next time on Fixing Our City, San Francisco's streets have had a bit of a crappy image. In response, the city stationed toilets and attendants in strategic spots around town. The results? That's next week. Cynthia Lopez produces and reports for Fixing Our City. Gary Baca is our sound engineer. 
King Kaufman is the executive producer. Jonathan Krim is the SF Next project editor. Fixing Our City is part of the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, exploring how the city will shape its future and tackle its biggest problems. Read stories by our reporters, check out interactive data breakdowns, and find our podcast archive at sfchronicle.com slash sfnext. <laughs>